You're listening to Good Shepherd Brentwood's Sermon Feed. Today's sermon was preached by Father Fred Schmidt and recorded on the Feast of the Baptism of Our Lord, January 8th, 2023. With apologies, friends, because I am a Don Henley and the Eagles fan, repentance is not the Hotel California will be the title of my sermon. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always and everywhere acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. One of my professors years ago described the task of interpreting the Gospel of Matthew as akin to nailing jello to the wall. I'm inclined to think, though, that the real challenge in reading Matthew is that he presumed a knowledge of Jewish history and religious practice that most modern readers lack. That's particularly the case in this morning's gospel. What is John doing? What is Jesus doing? Matthew doesn't bother to explain. So let me fill in the gaps. John understands his role as the one who gets people ready for the coming of the Messiah. The Jewish people had longed for a deliverer for millennia, and at last, he was coming. But how do you get ready for a Messiah? The prophets were clear about this. The people need to repent, to turn around, to change the way that they lived. Because even though the Messiah was Israel's long-awaited deliverer, they were equally clear that the Messiah was there to realign the life of the people of God with God's purposes, to restore the kind of intimacy that God had longed to give them from the very beginning. Repentance was necessary because without turning around, without abandoning the old familiar ways of coping on their own, they were not going to be ready to listen to or receive the Messiah. Proving once again that sometimes the only thing you can do is reboot the system. So, John dresses up in rough clothing and eats a basic diet of locust and honey to stress the urgency of the situation. And he goes out into the wilderness preaching and baptizing his hearers as an act of cleansing and repentance. When Jesus shows up, and asks to be baptized, John is understandably resistant. He knows Jesus is the Messiah, 
and there is nothing in the Jewish tradition about baptizing the Messiah, let alone baptizing someone who didn't need to repent. And John is fairly sure that he is the one who needs to be baptized. But Jesus responds, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus isn't talking about messianic promises. Then what is he talking about? The answer lies in his role, not just as the Messiah, but as God's son. Righteousness is not about being good or nice. It is about living life in a way that is aligned with the purposes of God. And Jesus is sent not just to deliver us, but to embody the lives that we are meant to live. So in narrow terms, John is right. Jesus doesn't need to repent, but we do. And it's with our need to repent that I would like to focus this morning. Now, at one point or another, I think that all of us have resisted repenting. That's not surprising. The cultural tapes around repentance are not all that attractive. The message that we get from our culture is that repentance is embarrassing and an occasion for shame, an invitation to self-loathing and misery. It's the leverage that is used by the self-righteous in a world of carrots Repentance is the stick. And there are certainly examples of that out there to justify that stereotype. Repentance was once the centerpiece of fire and brimstone preaching, and it still is in some circles. As a spiritual director, I have noticed that in a world of recovering fundamentalists, the hardest thing to recover from is not just bad theology, but the deep shame that that kind of preaching instills. Time and time again, people are told that they are unworthy of love. They are people who need to repent over and over again. And repentance becomes an endless game of entrapment or maybe the Hotel California. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. The stunning but really rather predictable development, of course, is that now the demand for repentance as entrapment is the stuff of political fundamentalism as well as religious fundamentalism. You can be called on to repent of your politics, your unpatriotic or undemocratic views, your social status, your eating habits, your choice of cars, the size of your checkbook, your sex, your gender, or your race. And now, this week, according to the New York Times, you can probably repent of being tall as well because short people are supposedly better for the environment. 
For that reason alone, it may be really important to begin talking about biblical understandings of repentance. Because when we do, we get a very different picture of what it's all about. We find a place where we can reclaim our spiritual independence of tyrants and bullies without making the dangerous assumption that repentance is an outdated and unnecessary dynamic in the spiritual life. So I'm going to be direct now so that we don't lose the thread and make two observations about repentance. First, repentance is about specific actions and ways of thinking. It is not God's way of saying you are unloved or unforgivable. If you believe that to repent, you have to repent because you are an unlovable mistake or because God hates you or rejects you, then one or more of three things have happened. You've been manipulated, you've been deliberately misled, or you have misunderstood what repentance is all about. This is the peril in both religious and political fundamentalism. Repentance in those settings is not about naming what we could or should do differently. It's about branding people. And as an exercise in branding, it is also about control. If you've been branded, if you have been told that you are unforgivable and that what is unforgivable about you is bone deep and inescapable, that is not what repentance is all about. Repentance is about naming a specific act or way of acting or way of thinking that presents a barrier to God's love and a love of others. The Bible uses the word sin, which means missing the mark, to describe those acts or patterns. Repentance, then, is not about camping out in a hotel California of self-loathing and hopelessness. It's about being freed. It's a starting point. It's about ground clearing. And we can't know where to start without the Holy Spirit identifying what might cause us to miss the mark. At such, repentance is an important key to our spiritual growth and progress. We can't grow in generosity if we feed our greed. We can't deepen in wisdom if we are vain and superficial. We can't gain or acquire a capacity for love by being self-serving, mean, or abusive. We can't be honest about dissembling and lying. We can't be courageous by hiding out. We can't be faithful by being fearful. And we can't receive God's healing by ignoring God or pretending that God doesn't matter. And these barriers or sins aren't just big things 
Sometimes, in fact, they're quite often small things, pockets and islands in our lives that we have yet to surrender to God. In fact, many times it's not about willful sin at all, but about growing spiritually. It's understanding something about ourselves that we've never understood before. I can remember what a revolution in my own faith it was when I discovered that God was not the God who moves goalposts, who's constantly moving them another 90 yards down the field, asking for more. Up to that point, my life had been lived on a knife's edge, and the effort was solely to be a good son, a good student, and a good person. It was only when I realized that God is not a hall monitor, but my loving advocate, that I changed the way I related to God and the way I related to others. When you think about it, the notion that we have nothing to repent presupposes that we are perfect, that we are incapable of doing or thinking anything wrong, that we can't possibly hurt someone else, ignore them, or undermine them, that we know God so well that we have nothing else to learn, no more growing to do. And frankly, that's impossible. And only people who are self-deluded would think otherwise. A second truth about the biblical view of repentance is that it is all about turning, changing, and moving on. The gift of repentance isn't just the opportunity to name what is inhibiting our spiritual growth. It's also the gift of being able to grow with God's help and to find a new direction. I'm not talking about self-help. I'm not talking about mind over matter. I'm talking about God's help and God's grace. It is about putting our lives back into the hands of God over and over again, whatever our circumstances. Follow me carefully here. Far too Many Christians have bought into a transactional view of their faith. Countless teachers and preachers have popularized the idea that the most important thing about the Christian life is that moment when you receive Christ as your Savior. In that moment, you get to move your name from the column that says damned and going to hell to saved and going to heaven. And the logic of that message is, is that there is little more to hope for other than to hunker down, hold on for dear life, and hope not to screw it up. There are a number of problems with that reading of the Christian journey. But one of the biggest ones is this. If, as important as our conversion is, all that God has in mind for us is one moment, then we are missing out on the larger gift that God longs to give us. 
The Christian life is not about being saved and holding on for dear life. Whether it begins with a spiritual crisis in our adult life or our baptism as an infant, God is in the business of healing his image in us. And that entails growth and progress, not just sometime in the future, but now. And that journey is an invitation to the young and the old, to the strong and the weak, the healthy and those who are ill, the rich and the poor. Life in the body of Christ might look like a bundle of old rituals to some people, a gathering of well-meaning people trying to figure out how to be nice. But that is not what the Christian life is about. Repentance is the starting point of a journey on which we give our lives back to God each day and we discover new layers of freedom, meaning, service, and creativity in Christ. That, my friends, is why the church has been at the forefront of creating schools, universities, and hospitals. That is why the Christian journey has shaped the lives of educators, scientists, physicians, athletes, actors, writers, and politicians. And that is why the history of the Western world has been shaped by the opposition to slavery and racism, the exploitation of children, and discrimination against women. And that is why the church has been at the forefront of battles against poverty, ignorance, and persecution. Jesus did not inhabit our lives to create a group of people hanging on for dear life, hoping not to make a mistake. He didn't come to beat us up. He came to lead us out. Out of enslavement to our failings, out of enslavement to our past, out of enslavement to a future that we can't control, out of small visions of what we can be. Repentance is not the end, the death knell, a damning word of condemnation, the Hotel California. It is the beginning, an opening, an opportunity, a way into the everlasting arms of God, the light, the release, and the freedom that only God can give. With Jesus, let us fulfill all righteousness. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in hearing our sermons in real time, you can check us out at our website, www.goodshepherdbrentwood.org, or attend online during our 1015 Sunday live stream on YouTube. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Good Shepherd Brentwood. If you have any questions or comments, or maybe you'd like to meet with one of our clergy, you can email us at office at goodshepherdbrentwood.org. Or if you're interested in visiting in person, 
or have questions about our programs and services, you can text 615-637-3738, where you'll be contacted by our staff. We'd love to meet you.